0: So I will let you do your intro, tell me your role, your title, um, just so I make sure we get it right today. The who's who. Yeah, the who's who. Okay.
1: So I'm Jennifer Esposito. I'm the general manager of the health and life sciences team at Intel, and we're a technology company, but we're not really producing products for the healthcare industry. We're really working with the ecosystem to make sure that the latest and greatest technology ingredients get applied and that we understand the new use cases and the new workloads that are emerging so that we're ready for the future. Are you wearing a, a wearable device I today? am not actually. <laughs> I use if my you, phone. <laughs> oh, you just use the phone. Yeah.
0: Um, have you tried any of them? I have tried
1: the Fitbits and a few different things. Yeah, I love the
0: phone because it's always on me all the time and use it for many other things. So, yeah. So I'm I'm super curious for your perspective on that because I am also not. I don't have a wearable on me right now. Um, And, you know, the problem is, is that you leave it at home sometimes, but with the phone, I mean, if I left my phone at home, I would, I would feel like super weird and have to run home. Absolutely. Um, So how do you get wearables to that point where we get as agitated about leaving them behind as we would our smartphones? Well,
1: I think part of it is about, you know, wearables are going to continue to evolve such that they're not something that you have to remember or forget. They're just always there and they're always on you. And so I think, you know, technology is going to help with that from the perspective of that evolution of the, fa- the form factors getting smaller and the ability to sort of have really low power devices that don't require, you know, for example, being charged up all the time and things like that.
0: And that's where you guys come in because, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing the chips and um battery life, like I keep yeah. hearing at this <laughs> conference that um, one of the, the barriers to getting adoption of these new technologies is just that you have to charge them every day. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of populations, including, yeah. say, seniors, um, this can be something they right. you forget to do, and hence they end up in the draw. Um, so when, it, when do you think we're going to get to the point where we can have these wearables working so that we only need to, say, charge them once every week or two?
1: Well, I think we're, we're looking at, you know, two to five years for a really good complement of different wearables. I think ultimately, though, you're going to also um, sort of see this, this morphing of the biological with the physical world, right? And you're actually going to have embedded sensors so that you really don't have to think about it. And that's going to, again, require a very low power, very small form factor to do. Wait, so do you mean like I swallow a sensor? Something swallow it, <laughs> embedded, whatever. I think there's lots of interesting opportunities um, to make it easier. And I think we're getting there with sort of this convergence of the evolution of the sensors, the ability to do more of the, you know, the analytics or the AI at the edge, wherever patients are at, um, and things like 5G and the network allowing you to pull all that together in really meaningful ways, real time, 24 seven, so you can react to
0: it. So could you talk me through, like, the vision of how this all looks in, say, (laughs) a decade from now? Like, is this going to be like a Black Mirror type thing where we all... Oh, I hope not. Like, (laughs) wake up in the morning and, like, put on our wearable patch and it's recording our conversations and... I don't know. Tell me, like, what do you Well, think? you know, I always wonder when I start to say this,
1: it sounds very Black Mirror-ish or whatever it is, right? But I do think that, um, you know, whether it's uh, ingestible or embedded or on your body in such an easy way, whether it's closed, I think, you know, first thing I want to say, too, is it's not just the, the data that's coming off of the patient. That's really important, right? We've got that sense from fitness wearables. But you know, the other thing that I find really interesting and important um, is the things that are around the patient, the contextual data in their environment, whether it's in their home or in their city. So I'm actually really excited about a, a picture that sort of isn't just about that data from the patient, it's sort of this world view of everything that's going on that we all know impacts health. You know, when I was in grad school, I was working on epidemiologic studies of cancer and we were manually collecting all sorts of environmental data um, and we were doing it once a month. Now you can kind of collect that kind of data 24 seven and really understand how it impacts individuals, but also populations. Oh, so you, do you mean things like um, what levels of toxins are in your Pollution, or, yeah. you Pollution, know, water quality. Or if you uh, have asthma, like when's yeah. the right time to leave mm-hmm. the house? Right, exactly, and so I think that that really we know those things inform health, and so I think to to really not have that piece of the puzzle at this point is is sort of a, a little bit of a gap in in the knowledge
0: that we need so what do you do every day at Intel like what are you passionate about um, and what is the scope of things that you're looking into and maybe avoiding because it just doesn't fit into mm. the core competency.
1: Well, you know, we we do a lot of work with both, um, you know, other companies in the ecosystem that are building products to understand what some of their challenges are to help them, for example, optimize maybe their architecture or the technology ingredients that they're using and so that they can bring it to market, market at a cheaper price point or make it work faster, better. Um, We work really closely with end users, whether it's hospital systems or pharma companies, to really understand some of those extreme use cases that are really challenging them to really deal with problems. And then we come back and think about maybe some of the partners that we've been collaborating with or some of the technology that we've been working on and think about how you can potentially stitch some of that together. So sometimes the output of that is working directly with a company to sort of help them bring something to market. In other cases, what we try to do are build things like reference designs or reference architectures, which sort of, you know, builds a framework that other people can build on and is relatively open. I mean, one of the things that we feel strongly about is making that kind of knowledge broadly available. It's not about exclusively working with one company versus another. It's really about bringing that out into the ecosystem so that everybody can take care of the technology.
0: Um, So, at conferences like these, um, people will often ask me about the sort of Tech entrants and what their strategy mm. is, because it's something I focus a lot on in in my reporting. And very often, you sense this undertone of deep skepticism, <laughs> like how can these tech folk know anything about healthcare? Um, and you know, I think that there are some reasons why that might be fair and and also mm-hmm. not fair. Um, I'm curious whether you've come across that and. Um, and what is your response to it? Well, I do think, you know, when when
1: you sort of have a very uh, technology-only focused view of it, you sometimes do have a gap. Yeah, I think one of the things that I see a lot is examples of solutions or technologies that don't really account for the workflow in the health system or the workflow that a physician or a nurse is facing. And so I think that's one of the, the points at which you start to hear is sort of that skepticism because you're trying to bolt on maybe a solution that worked in another industry and try to assume that it's going to work just fine in healthcare. Um, and so for me, I think it's very important to understand workflows, you know, we've done in the past a lot of work around ethnographic analysis of how people are using their technology, how does it feel, um, and iterating from that, and I think those are really important points to bridge that gap and sort of
0: dispel some of that skepticism. Do you see like any ego on the part of, of technology companies that you know <laughs> we, we can do this better than you can because um, we have this disruptive mindset, you don't? Well, I'm not sure if it's ego. I do think that depending on which
1: technology company you're talking about, some of them have really great expertise in specific areas that would be really important to leverage in healthcare, where there are gaps, whether it's logistics or artificial intelligence, right? And so I think that's the, it's the balance of sort of mixing and matching the right skills. And if you're, if you're really good at certain tasks, you know, bringing that into the mix. Because I don't think healthcare alone can sort of solve all of these challenges and it doesn't make sense either to reinvent the wheel.
0: So you mentioned artificial intelligence, um, which was probably a, the biggest, most important theme three years ago at J.P. Morgan. Mm. Um, but you know, I haven't heard that many people talking about it this year. Mm. Um, and it could just be that these, you know, these trends kind of come and go, yeah. um, and now we've moved on to other things. So, what is realistic, or where are you seeing AI actually? do something in healthcare as opposed to just being like Mm -hmm. a splashy headline or white paper? Mm -hmm. Like where is it actually impacting and doing things that are having a positive, like or inc- mm-hmm. making it easier to be a physician these days or doing right. anything real.
1: Well, for us last year, 2018 was sort of the year of AI where we done a ton of work to show some of the use cases. And I think we were trying to say AI is real, it's happening now, it's possible. And also it's possible to use your existing technology infrastructure to do some of that. So um, we've done a lot of work, for example, with Montefiore Medical Center in New York. They're working on pulling together all of their data such that they can start to um, make predictions in in the wards Um, and using that data to inform whether or not people have actually looked at it, figuring out how it fits in the workflow. So I think that's an example of sort of clinical hospital operations uh, where you can impact patient care, but you also can think about some of the resourcing that you have. Um, I think some of the other use cases that people can, can work on right now are the ones that are a little less sexy, the financial and the administrative administrative and the operational ones, which I think give health systems an opportunity to sort of get an entry into artificial intelligence, get their system set up, get some expertise set up, and then um, really uh, use that as a way to show the value because there's a lot of opportunity in those sorts of use cases to um, pull value out and have some really impressive wins in the short term that will allow you to expand to some of the other use cases that are more clinical. Um, And then the other one, I think we've done a lot of work this last past year in radiology. I mean, it's a a really ripe opportunity. Everybody wants to get about the radiology mm-hmm. radiology.
0: Mm-hmm. I wonder how radiologists are feeling right now.
1: Well, you know, I think this is interesting. I mean, my perspective is, is this is about augmentation of the work of physicians, helping them uh, you know, sort of triage those standard cases, focus on the most complex ones. Um, so I think we're moving to a point, it's not going to, re- my, my feeling is it's not about replacement. This is about augmenting and assisting physicians and other clinical workers to operate, you know, at the top of their licensure, their top of their expertise, um, and really save some of the more mundane tasks for AI. Um. By the
0: way, I, I talked to someone last week who had trained pigeons to uh, spot. Uh, cancer ah, imaging. Interesting. So the, I think we should also be asking whether AI will replace <laughs> pigeons. <laughs> I don't think anybody has a pigeon at in the hospital, right? <laughs> um, so I do want to ask you, how do you know that it is AI? Because um, very mm. often people say to me, this is AI, we've got AI. And I'm like, are you sure it's not a spreadsheet? Or like some kind of decision tree, and like, yes. why can't we just say we have a spreadsheet? Like, right. would it be so wrong to just be honest about sure. you know what technology we are using? Because sometimes that makes the most sense. Yeah. Well, I think it is
1: funny because I think you know some people have very strict definitions of what is AI and what isn't. I do. I do like people to think about the fact that think about more just think about analytics in general and leveraging advanced analytics and then sort of moving up the curve, right, to sort of that full-blown uh, AI that people are talking about. Because I think people have to think about that as sort of the progression. It's not necessarily that this is AI or it's not. If you are using a spreadsheet, that's actually way better than using paper, right, so you're moving in the right direction. So it's not paper. Not paper, <laughs> anything that's sort of, uh, you know, again, it's about assistance and taking away some of that, that sort of burden that you know, doesn't allow things to become real time and to sort of flow into what people are doing on a
0: day-to-day yeah. basis. So um, in in my own conversations with folks that are doing some form of data gathering in healthcare, they'll tell me about some device or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, app that that collects all this data. And then my next question is like, so what? Like why, like for who is going to benefit from this? And very often you see people only think about the sort of data gathering piece yeah. and, then, and then it ends. There's just, there's an assumption that that mm-hmm. will just do something great. Um, do you see that as well? And um, does it, is it a particular problem within the healthcare space?
1: No, I think it's, it's, it's everywhere, but I think, you know just like you said, it's not just about the collection. I'm excited about what happens after you collect, collect the data as you build predictive models or alerts or capabilities, for example, to use digital therapeutics to deliver care for patients in their home. And and that digital therapeutic is adaptive to the real-time data that you're collecting about them. And so that, you know, you really are starting to shift that balance of care outside the hospital into an
0: environment where patients are more comfortable. Can you think of any examples where it's actually a bad thing to be collecting data about our health? Oh, well, I think that's interesting. I think, you know,
1: I don't necessarily think so. I mean, I do think it, it really depends on how you're securing the data and keeping track of it. Um, but I do think that we don't necessarily know what we don't know at this point. And, and you know, kind of back to my earlier points, there are all of these other uh, factors around patients that that are contributing and that will help inform
0: sort of a new world of uh, care delivery and research. So you guys have this technology that kind of analyzes a lot of some of the wearables that we've mm-hmm. talked about. Um, so are you thinking about how these devices are going to get into the hands of people who um, are not in the camp of what many in this room would call the worried well? Mm. Um, the people that can afford these devices are already fairly healthy, um, and, and we don't really need to be focusing on them quite so much. Mm. Um, how do we get them into the hands of people who are sick, who are uh, aging, um, who may benefit you know, more than than? the sort of healthier counterparts, the millennials?
1: Well, I mean, first thing I want to say is I actually think that sort of because people are carrying phones and all of these other devices, the the shift away from just being about health care and reactive care really is going to start to transition into something around continuous health and wellness. And so I am actually really concerned still about the, you know, the worried well or whatever we want to call them because I do think that that's sort of a, a game changer or a shift overall that we're going to start to see over the next, you know, five to 10 years. Um, but I also think, you know, to, to the current populations of the elderly or the poor Or, you know, we we know the cost of some of these technologies are are going down steadily, and so it's going to make it much easier um, to do that. But at the same time, I also think that um, you come come back to, you know, making it easy for them and making it um, sort of non-disruptive to daily lives and utilizing things that are already around them to capture that data.
0: Um, So from a sensor perspective, you know, right now we're, we've managed to crack this um, electrocardiogram ECG thing, which, you know, folks have been working on for a long time Mm -hmm. um, and we obviously have heart rate and steps. What's the next thing? The next thing to collect? Well, um, Or the next, the next vital sign.
1: Well, I think some of it's just activity and what people are doing, and being able to use motion and um, uh, you know understanding people's motion and, and fitness is, is really important to the overall picture of health. We know that that contributes a lot to people's success or non with chronic disease management and things like that. Um, I think understanding what people are eating is another really interesting one um, to think about. And How do we do that? I don't know yet. Don't know <laughs> the answer to that one, but I do think that's really important. So I mean, again, back to my. My earlier conversation around you know shifting to health and wellness versus care, I think some of this um, the, the capabilities will allow us to. Um, You know, really because there's more pervasiveness in the capture of data, you also can sort of extend education about what people are doing and how it impacts their overall health and well-being.
0: Have you looked at areas like uh, non-invasive, continuous blood pressure, blood glucose, things that people often call the holy grail in the biomedical world? I haven't done a ton of work in that area. Well, if you if you find out anything more about it, <laughs> those are areas I'm I'm certainly interested in. Um Cool. So so uh, you know the, I asked the same question of of our last panelists, mm. but um, I keep you know ho- dron- droning in on this or honing in this issue of of just getting more diversity mm-hmm. into J P Morgan and some of these other conferences. Um, what do, you have, do you have any personal goals or uh, company goals around just bringing more women into the fold for 2019?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely been a priority at our company. Um, and I think as um, someone who's, you know, relatively visible in this particular industry, I have really enjoyed um, bringing people on as interns to our team. They've done some really great work with us. And it's a, you know, a way to get people exposed to... You know, for, for example, people that are working in, in health uh, research or health policy um, coming into a technology company and thinking about how that applies. We had a great PhD intern with us for a couple of years, and she was a health policy PhD candidate. But, you know, so you, it was sort of a non traditional entry into technology. But I think building more of those opportunities and experiences um, for women that are studying in this field, but but not necessarily in technology is a great way to
0: expand this. So you guys are hoping that, you know, within sort of this remit of health policy and some of these other areas that, that folks there aren't intimidated by, you know, opportunities in the technology field.
1: Well, I mean, even, even me, I didn't come from a technology background, you know, I have a master's degree in epidemiology, but I always loved technology. And so we sort of just immersing you found yourself, a way. Found a way, right? And it, it didn't necessarily click immediately. Um, but I do think you have to open up um, you know is sort of diversity of experiences as part of the the story here and getting more people exposure to so the win 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 absolutely wonderful so we're out of time thank, thank you, you so much thank you great chatting with great chat you today. great Thanks.
0: chat with you too